Sorry, I'm slow getting up here. That's on me. I didn't know when the song was going to end, and normally I do and I can anticipate, except when you do the songs that have like the, well, the one that has the chorus that you sing at the end that you don't see coming. I humiliated myself the first week. Like I started to walk up and they're like, oh, geez, they're not done. Do you do a Yui? Anyway, um, so it's uh, good to be here. Glad that you're here as well. Let me start this way. Um, I have always thought that my dad, uh, Bill Heck, is good at a lot of stuff. He's very talented at a lot of things. Swimming is not one of those things, okay? Uh, No gold medals in the future in the 100 backstroke for Bill Heck. He's not a great swimmer. That said, this one time, um, and it was so scarring, I don't remember if uh, Katie and, and mom were even with us or if they stayed back, but dad had taken the family to Key West and we had this outing plan to go on a catamaran out and like the coral reefs, you could snorkel over the top of the coral reefs and all of that. Some of you have probably done this. And so uh, dad had scheduled this. And I at least remember the three of us, Andrew and I and dad went out to do that. Okay. I don't, like I said, I don't remember if mom and Katie were there or whatever. So Andrew and I started swimming uh, and we got far away from the boat because they tell you, the guides tell you that you can't take your life jackets off. You're not supposed to do that. So we wanted to get far enough away that they couldn't see us take our life jackets off because you can't, like you can't see the coral reef from way on top. You want to get down low. So we would dive under and get pictures and all of that. Andrew's the idiot that got cut by the coral on the coral reef. How do you explain that when you get back to the boat? Like you just like a piece of coral came up and attack. Anyway, so we're over there doing that, and the time came for us to get back to the boat, and as we're swimming back to the boat with the life jackets and all of that, we look off, and in the distance, almost as far away as we had gone, but in the opposite direction, there's a swimmer out there that's kind of bobbing along in the water. We thought, oh, well, whoever that is had the same idea that we did, and then I think it was Andrew that said, I I think that's dad. And we looked out there, and my dad, who's not a great swimmer, okay, he can stay afloat, that's about it, is slowly drifting out to sea, and he can't stop himself. And so I start to swim towards dad to help out, and Andrew's like, Peter, wait, the inheritance. And I... (laughs) I'm not driven by those things, material possessions, so I went out and rescued dad. Um, Now... The point of this story, other than to highlight again who the good son is, is to point this out that drifting is natural. What do I mean by that? Drifting, you don't have to do anything to drift. It just happens. If you walk out into the ocean, several of you have gone uh, on vacation, you've gone to the beach. If you walk out from your hotel and you walk across the beach and you go into the water and you go out and frolic and do all of that for 20 minutes or something, and then you turn around to go back to your hotel, what do you notice? But the hotel is way down there. And you, well, how did that happen? Because I didn't walk a mile down the road this way or down the beach this way. Well, what happened is when your feet were up, the current is pushing and it carries you downstream. In other words, you're drifting and you're not making the effort to do that. Sometimes you feel it and other times you don't feel it when it happens. So unless, unless you keep checking where you are and work against it, you're going to end up a long way away. If, if you, if the current's blowing this way and you are walking out of your hotel, I'm trying to do this backwards. If the current's blowing this way, then you need to be walking in this direction. Otherwise, you're going to end up carried that way. Is this making sense? You get this. You understand this. I want you to catch that line right there. Doing nothing can still result in movement. Movement that you don't intend, movement that you don't want. Doing nothing can result in movement. In order to be where you want to be, you have to actively oppose the drift. That's the only way you'll get to where you want to be. We talked last week about losing our passion for our mission. 
This mission to seek and to save. This mission to make disciples of Jesus and train others to make disciples of Jesus and to grow a ministry. Well, how does it happen? Well, there's a lot of different ways, but one of the big ways is this. That you have these strong currents of culture that are pushing in a direction. We mentioned those last week. The strong currents of culture are pushing this way, and you add that to a natural apathy or inattention to your faith, and when that happens, you're pulling up, your, you're my dad, who's sitting there with a life jacket on, just floating, and the current is going to carry you out to sea. That's one of the ways that you can lose your passion. It's what I want to talk about this morning. If we don't actively oppose the reality of drift, then we will move away from our first love, whether we intend to or not. We'll just find that that's where we are. If you got your Bibles, flip to Hebrews chapter 2. I want you to see what the writer of Hebrews says here in the first four verses. This is the main, uh, virtually only passage I want to look at this morning. It's more an application sermon. So look at these first four verses here. We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. For if the message spoken by angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, what's he talking about there? He's talking about the Old Testament. When God spoke to people in the Old Testament, he did it through angels. The angels would appear and tell Lot, you need to get out of Sodom. And when they listened to the angels and obeyed the word of God that came through the angels, everything was fine. When they didn't, there would be punishment. You remember Lot's wife, a pillar of salt. Not a good end. Okay, anyway, so then verse 3. How shall we then escape if we ignore such a great salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord himself, by Jesus himself, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Christians do not suddenly wake up, abandon the faith, and jump into heresy. That isn't what happens. You drift through error into heresy. It's a natural thing that occurs because you are not paying attention to the elements of your faith. I always made fun of my sister-in-law, Christina, uh, for a number of reasons, but one of the reasons was when they first had Emily, who's a senior now in high school, when they first had Emily, they would go out to visit Christina's family in Delaware. And uh, when they would go out there, they would go to the beach. And Christina was petrified. I don't know if, if her parents did this to her, petrified of the riptides, the rip current. And she would always talk about it. They would pull up in the parking lot and they wouldn't let Emily get out of the car because they were afraid the rip current might reach up from the ocean and grab her in the car and yank her out to sea. I have noticed as Emily's gotten older, they're not nearly as concerned about that anymore. It's more of a, go on Emily, go a little further out into the ocean. You see how it pulls you? Keep going. Anyway, um, and I'm not really sure what's going on. Now, listen, this idea of a rip current, drowning in heresy begins with drifting towards error. You slowly get further and further and further away from your first love because you are not paying proper attention that the writer of Hebrews is saying. And before you know it, that rip current has you and it does pull you far away. We need not worry about a rip current coming up and taking us if we're paying attention to our faith. Any more than a rip current's going to reach up into the parking lot and yank you out of the vehicle. It doesn't work that way. We need to pay attention, though, so that we do not drift. That's when it does happen. So what does it look like when we drift? Okay, uh, a lot of different ways we can look at this. Hebrews says, pay attention all the more to what you've heard so that you don't drift away. I want to do that this morning. And in order to do that, there's a lot of different ways. I want to consider the potential signs that you may see, that you may recognize in your own life, and these should be red flags. 
If this stuff is happening to you, if this is what you're thinking, if this is the kind of the way you operate, that should be a big red flag to you. Remember, you don't know that you're drifting. You're in the ocean frolicking, and the current is sweeping you away. We need to pay attention. That's our hotel. We're getting further from it. Pay attention. So there's a lot of different ways that we could do this. I read, uh, there's an author named Trevin Wax, uh, and he has a book called The Thrill of Orthodoxy and all of this. He has in there what I'm going to call Trevin's Four. These are four different individuals, four Christians. All of these guys are Christians, okay? And I'm just going to apply a random name that I've just chosen totally at random, no tie-in to anybody that you know or I know, and I want you to look at these and say, I'm kind of like that, or there's part of me that is like that, or there's part of me that's been like that, okay? Just four different names, and I hope... Hope that as we go through this, you'll begin to see what I mean about the reality of drift. All right, the first one, totally chosen at random. Let's go with Phil, all right? Phil is the guy who's just going through the motions. I don't feel much of anything, Phil confesses to his friends. I guess I should say these four are like having a conversation. I don't feel much of anything, Phil confesses to his friends. They nod, grateful for, for his vulnerability in describing the state of his spiritual life. I go to church, I read my Bible, because that's what I'm supposed to do. I don't pray as much as I should probably, but hey, I'm still attending church, even when I don't get much out of the singing or the sermon, which is impossible. One of his friends asks him if he wants to feel closer to the Lord. Phil says yes, and he starts talking about the early days of his faith when he felt most on fire. Certain songs always made him tear up. He enjoyed time in God's word. He was always excited to attend church. He waited with anticipation for what the Lord had for him in that service. But those days are gone. He does stress to his friends that even though he doesn't feel as close to God, and even if he doesn't have the same energy as he did before, he's going to be fine. Of course I still believe in Jesus, he says. I haven't changed my beliefs. Maybe something will come along that can help keep me from just going through the motions. Until then, I'll just keep doing what I'm doing. All right, I don't know if that's you, if it's ever been you. Let's recap it. Phil doesn't feel much anymore about his faith. He attends church. He's not getting a lot out of it, but he just goes because that's what he's supposed to do. He used to feel on fire for Jesus, maybe after a church camp or a a weekend retreat, something like that. And he says, of course I still believe in Jesus. It's not like I'm walking away from my faith. I believe in Jesus, but I just feel like I'm going through the motions. So I'm just going to keep doing what I've always done And hopefully, you know, something will happen and and it'll rekindle the fire. I don't know if that's you, if it's ever been you, if it's you right now, or there's parts of it that are you. We'll leave Phil there for just a second. Let's go to our second name, chosen at random, Jason. Okay, now Jason is a guy who's just living the faith. Jason jumps into the conversation. You know the problem for you, Phil, might be that you're not serving others enough. The Christian life is all about doing what's right, no matter how you feel about it. Studying the Bible, knowing theology, that's great and everything, but I'm more of a practical guy. Theology is for thinkers, and Jason is a doer. What's the point of believing all the right things if it doesn't lead to a change in life, he thinks. Every morning, this is what Jason does. He gets up, he reads a snippet from his Bible, maybe like in a devotional, trying to glean some wisdom that'll power him through that particular day. His focus is on living the faith not analyzing it. That's why I don't get into the details of doctrine, he says. Most doctrine just causes division anyway. Theology can distract us from living out our faith and evinces frustration with Christians who focus so much on specific doctrines, thinkers who overcomplicate things. Of course I still believe in the important stuff and all of those doctrinal points. I just think you need to keep it simple, just the basics. 
I'm not saying theology isn't important. It's just that what, what matters most is not what you say you believe, but what you do. Love God and love others. It's as simple as that. All right? So that's Jason. Jason is living the faith. Let's recap it. Maybe this is you. More of a practical person. You're not going to dig into the word. You're not a person, a theologian, and you don't really care to be. You're a doer, not a thinker. You're not into the details of doctrine. Somebody else can figure all that out, but that's not for you. Of course you still believe that stuff. Yeah, I'm not saying I don't believe the doctrines. I'm just not really that interested in them. I want to keep it simple. Just give me the basics. I want to love God and love other people because what matters most is what you do. Okay, I want you to remember, I'm not talking about non-believers here. I'm not going to spring on you that none of these people are Christians. They are Christians, but this is what they're dealing with. Maybe this has been you or maybe this is you. All right, third name, totally chosen at random. Let's go with Ben. Ben is wrestling with the hard stuff. This is what he says. It's not simple for me, Ben chimes in. Sometimes it's hard to love God and love others when you feel like loving God in your faith contradicts the deepest beliefs of the other people that you're supposed to love. That's why I focus on the parts of Christianity that really resonate with people. See, Ben is doing the hard work of ministry on a college campus, always looking for opportunities to share the gospel there. Of course I believe all of it, even the hard-to-swallow teachings. But I don't go there and talk about those unless I'm asked specifically. Because Ben is used to all of the arguments. Christians are too intolerant because you believe Jesus is the only way. Your God can't be loving if you think that there's a hell. Your God and your church discriminate because you don't perform same-sex weddings. Most people making a case for Christianity these days are going to run into those objections, Ben argues. It's tough. When I have these conversations, I try to show those people that I'm as uncomfortable with some of Christianity's teachings as they are. It's more human that way, more vulnerable, more authentic. To be honest, Ben says, I'd love for Christianity to be different in some places. I think it's important to let people know that I'm like everyone else, just wrestling with the hard stuff that seems super offensive these days. All right, so here's Ben. He struggles. How do I love other people when my faith is contradicting something that they believe that they are and that they believe they should do? How am I supposed to love them and make them realize I love them? Of course I believe in all of those hard teachings, but I'm going to avoid those if possible because it really turns people off. He prefers a more human, a more authentic approach to his ministry. He's vulnerable with folks about wrestling with the hard stuff. Make sense? Maybe that's been some of you. Maybe that is some of you right now. I think that right there is a lot of Christian college kids. They don't know how to navigate that. And then our last one, chosen at random, let's go with Kyle. Kyle sees an opportunity to jump into the conversation and can't wait. I'm so excited to see what's happening with my church. We're planning a new church in a major city. The pastors are incredible. All right. Um, and the needs in the community are so big, his smile is infectious. And is, is, there's excitement in his eyes. When someone asks about the church's vision, he says it's all focused on the needs of the community and how the church can make a difference there in that community. We're going to incorporate different styles of music. We're going to be intentional about ethnic diversity. We want to reflect the demographics of this big city. There's never been a church like this that I know of, or at least not very many. Kyle himself is anxious to lead an initiative that will serve disadvantaged families in the city. When someone says, how are you going to get people who are so, so far away from God to come to him and have faith in him? Kyle says, well, yeah, that's the main thing, of course. The gospel is the heart of everything that we do. It's the reason we want to get involved in the community, and it's why we want to be diverse and service-oriented. 
Believe me, we're committed to the basics. We're just going beyond that. We're building out from the gospel. And then he goes on about other elements of the church that excite him the most. So where is Kyle? He's very excited about their church. It's a service-oriented church that focuses on caring for people. And this is what he says. The gospel, of course, is the main thing. But we're going beyond that. We're building on the gospel and going out. He wants to hold to the basics. But what is most important? He's committed to doing big things in the community. Four different people. And again, I would say, maybe you're not one of those people entirely. Maybe you have elements of that. One of the reasons I love these four is because I think that those four are likely in this room. I think they're replicated throughout this room, elements of them. I'm excited because I feel like I have been every single one of those people in some ways in my life. What do I mean? I felt before like I'm going through the motions. I've been a fill. I've had that feeling before. And I've been pulled towards focusing on doing at the expense of the doctrines. I've been a Jason before. And I know that I felt uneasy about how countercultural parts of my faith are. And I'm almost a little bit embarrassed to say that this is what I believe when everybody in the culture is saying something different. I've had some bend in me before. And I felt excited about the work that we're doing and I'm anxious to see the results. I've been Kyle as well. And maybe you have been too. I just want to point out, all four of those are Christians and all four of those are in real danger of drifting. The very thing that we're talking about this morning, if we want to know how, then we need to pay attention to what is being said in each one. Go back and look at this. Phil, did, you, did anybody notice what was similar in every single one of those? I'm just curious. Yeah, see, that's why you need me. All right, anyway, so Phil, I'm kidding. Um, Phil is spiritual. He's in a spiritual rut, and he wants passion. That's who Phil was. And Jason is service-oriented, and he wants to avoid the controversy of doctrine. And then you have Ben, who's really concerned about the opinions and the responses of the world. And Kyle is consumed with having a purpose and making a difference in the community. All four of those are very unique individuals and unique experiences. But I want you to look at the one thing that all of them had in common. And it went right over your head when I did it. Most of you, maybe all of you. Go back to Phil. Phil was this guy, and look at what he says. Of course, I still believe in the doctrines. I'm just not feeling the passion anymore. And Jason, of course, I still believe in the important stuff. I'm just more focused on what I'm doing. And Ben, what did Ben say? Of course, I accept the hard teachings. Yeah, of course I do. I just don't talk about them when it upsets people. And Kyle, well, yes, the gospel is the main thing, of course, but we're just focused on this over here. Do you know what each one of those people are doing? This is the danger of drift. This is what I'm talking about. In each of those totally unique individuals, there was assumption. Taking the truth of God for granted taking what it is that we believe and saying, well, of course I believe that, but, and following it up with something else. That is the path to drift. When you begin assuming things about your faith, well, of course I believe that. You're not invested in it. You're not pursuing it. You're not passionate about it. You're assuming this. A lack of interest in the truths of Christianity. A lack of confidence in the power of the gospel message. I want you to look deeper into this for a second. Phil believes that truth is present, he just doesn't find it to be powerful. It's not moving him anymore. He knows truth is there. He's just not impressed with its power. And what about Jason? He knows that truth is there. It's just not relevant. Doctrine doesn't impact people. 
me going out into the community and doing things. That does things. And Ben, he knows that truth is present. He's just embarrassed by the truth. And Kyle, he knows that truth is present, but he just doesn't find it life-changing and effective. Sharing the gospel of Jesus doesn't build somebody a house. Building somebody a house, now that's doing something for them. That's life-changing for them. All of them acknowledge the reality of truth, but that isn't what drives them. There's, a, there's something lacking in each of them. When you're assuming and taking for granted the truths of Christianity, you have lost what I mentioned last week, the astonishment and the awe of what it is that we believe. And without that, watch how this happens. Without the astonishment and the awe of what we believe, then what we believe becomes boring. And when what you believe becomes boring, you become apathetic towards what you believe. You're looking for other things to excite you. You know what you're doing? You're lifting your feet up in the ocean. I'm bored with this. And you start looking around for other things. You're not investing in your faith. You're not dwelling on those things. And drift happens. Apathy is a recipe for drifting in the faith. Now, the way that those guys are going to drift, it's totally different. So if you're one of those people, maybe we should know what we should be looking for. This was Phil, remember? How is Phil going to drift? Phil might drift in a couple different ways. If he's not feeling it anymore, one way he might drift is by simply accepting a lifeless uh, spirituality. No, That's just the way that it is. God's never going to be real to me anymore. Over time, God, I just, God is distant, and I'm going to come to accept that. Christianity then becomes rituals and practices without any passion for worship whatsoever. And some of you maybe are there. But there's a second way that Phil will drift. The second way, he'll look for something exciting to fill the void. He wants that excitement. And so he's going to look for it with new beliefs or innovative practices. Do you remember a few months ago when we were doing the You Asked For It series and we talked about the New Age spirituality and the Enneagram and, and the yoga stuff if you dig into it? and the Christian mysticism that exists out there? Remember we talked about this? How is it that solid Christians get, get pulled into things like New Age spirituality? That right there. That's exactly how it happens. They are looking for something to supplement their dry faith. I need all of these new innovative practices. I need to, to do these new things and borrow from this over here in order to spice up my spiritual life. That's how drift happens. How does, how does drift happen for Jason, who's more of a practical person? He doesn't concern himself with doctrinal details, which means he is perfectly susceptible to false teaching. He doesn't know the doctrines, so he's going to be easily persuaded by false teaching. I want you to notice something about Jason. Jason believes it doesn't matter so much what you believe, it's what you actually do. Do you understand how that undermines the complete gospel message of Jesus Christ? We do see that, right? Christianity is about what we do rather than what we think. That totally undermines the, the entire point of the gospel, which is what? It has nothing to do with what you do. It has everything to do with what Jesus has already done. It is our belief in what Jesus has done that should be firing us, that should be motivating us, that should be driving what it is that we do. We don't focus on those things. So the consequences are going to go beyond ourselves if this is us. How do we drift? Well, what happens? If you're all about doing without understanding why you're doing it, the, the whole doctrinal aspect, if that's you, what's going to happen to your kids? I've illustrated this for you, and I think you'll enjoy it. Uh, I spent some time on it. That's you right there. See him? That's you. And you know what you're supposed to do and why you're supposed to do it. You know that. You know that this is why we do good things, because Jesus did this. But you don't focus on the why. Eh, the doctrine doesn't matter. We just need to make sure we're doing the right things. So you teach your kids to do the right things. But you're not teaching them the doctrine as to why they should do those right things. And so your children, 
you had a litter. Uh, your children there, they will grow up knowing what they're supposed to do, but they're not going to have any idea why they're supposed to do it. So they may be doing the right things, but not really understanding why they're supposed to do it. You know what happens by the time you get to that third generation? You've raised a bunch of kids that are then raising a bunch of kids that don't understand really what they're supposed to do, and they certainly don't know why they're supposed to do it. This is the consequence of drift. We may raise kids that care about justice, and they may care about good deeds, but they're not going to be making disciples. We're not making disciples. We're just doing things. They may be polite and compassionate towards other people, but they ultimately won't know why it matters and sets us apart. Then you got Ben here. Ben who's worried about the rest of the world. He's uncomfortable with the hard way that Christianity rubs against the culture. He doubts people can be one unless we compromise on some of those things that offend the world. He claims, I believe the right things, but he's not going to defend the doctrines of Jesus because he's going to say, well, we really don't know for sure. That's going to be what he says over time. I mean, technically, Jesus never said anything specific about abortion. But technically, Jesus never actually, there was a lot of homosexuality in his day, and we don't have any record of him saying something specific about that. So we can't really be sure. This is what happens with drift. He drifts by reimagining the faith and therefore creating a new faith that is not based on the doctrines of Christ because they're offensive. And then Kyle, Kyle who's super excited about this. He's so consumed with enthusiasm that he's totally missing something. Look at what the miracle of the gospel has become to him. The miracle of the gospel has become doing something for somebody else, an act of service. The miracle of the gospel is no longer the Holy Spirit coming in and taking over somebody's life and redeeming someone. The drift is going to be, here's how you drift if you're Kyle. You start focusing and centering good causes rather than the violent cross. The violent cross becomes a backdrop to the good stuff that you're doing. And that's what you want people to notice. But hold on a second. It's that violent cross that separates us as Christians. That right there is what makes Christianity distinct. There are a lot of good causes in the world that don't have anything to do with the cross. Our mission and the gospel is all about the redemption of sinners that happens only when they come to understand this. Building a house for somebody is great. It's wonderful, particularly when it points them towards the doctrine that you believe that motivated you to build that house, which is the redemption of all sinners through the violent cross that Jesus bore. That's the focus. It's so good, so good to want to produce good fruit. I think it's wonderful when people want to do good social work and good politics and good art. It is wonderful to want to produce good fruit. But Christians, where does good fruit come from? It comes from God, from the, the gift of the Holy Spirit. So if what you're doing, if that passion leads you to drift from the very gospel that brings the Holy Spirit, that results in that fruit in the first place, then you're not really in this for the good fruit. So what's the solution? That's the big question, right? All right, we'll get into this more next week. But for right now, I want to focus right here, okay? I don't want to put too much on you, and I've given you a lot. So let's focus in on this right here. Being adrift is rarely intentional. People who drift from the faith, they're not choosing to drift from the faith the majority of the time. You don't even know that it's happening. And that's why Hebrews is teaching us to pay attention. It's also why Jude wrote this. Look at what he says. You, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, look at this, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the Keep yourself in God's love. Pay attention. And as you're walking, make sure that you're walking diagonal towards your goal, intentionally pursuing God's love so that the winds of culture or the waves of culture, the current, doesn't take you away. 
We're being told that right there. This is maybe my analogy. Life isn't a lake. Don't think that you're just going to bob along like my dad and not go anywhere sitting in a lake with a life jacket on. It's a river. And that river is flowing in one direction and it's towards the falls. It's towards destruction. That's what we're all in. You know what Proverbs says? There is a way that seems right unto a man. It's the way everybody's going. Everybody's going this way because it seems right. And we're never going to turn around because it seems right to us. That's the way the river is flowing. And what's the end of that proverb? There's a way that seems right unto a man and the end thereof is death. That's the way the river is going. If you pull your feet up and you drift and you float, that's the way you're going to go. We're being told to keep ourselves in the love of God, to fight against that drift, to pay attention to those things, to invest in those things. We're tempted to forsake our first love and pull in the oars and float, conforming to the world. It happens all the time. And from the perspective of, the, of, the, of eternity, from the perspective of a disciple of Jesus, you know what it looks like? I got this video clip for you. I'm going to show you. Um, if you ask people the dumbest animal on earth, they will always say the sheep. Sheep get a bad rap. They're not the dumbest animal on earth. I have never in my life seen a dumber animal than a lemming. You know what a lemming is? These things, every year, they migrate. The only reason lemmings still exist is because some lemmings are even dumber than the rest of them and can't figure out how to do what the rest of them do. You know what the rest of them do? They commit mass suicide every year. They migrate to the Arctic Sea and then they chuck themselves into the Arctic. It's the weirdest thing in the world. Watch it and then I'll make my point. In this land of many mysteries, it's a strange fact that the largest legends seem to collect around the smallest creatures. One of these is a mousy little rodent called the lemming. Here's an actual living legend. Ahead lies the Arctic shore, and beyond, the sea. And still the little animals surge forward. Their frenzy takes them tumbling down the terraced cliffs, creating tiny avalanches of sliding soil and rocks, and seemingly indestructible lemmings. They reach the final precipice. This is the last chance to turn back. Yet over they go, casting themselves bodily out into space. watch this like two or three times because I've seen it four or five times now there's one of those lemmings that keeps going up and looking over and then backing up it's like Larry he's not guys I'm not sure about this I, look okay that's the dumbest thing in the world they just go there that's what they're supposed to do and they fling themselves off and they try to get across the Arctic Sea they make it for a few minutes and then they drown and I love the fact that the cameraman just sits there and films the whole thing doesn't help the little boogers he just watches them drown all right here's my point we are called to actively resist drifting the way everyone else is going the lemmings are marching in one direction and we're being told pay attention don't go in that way we can do that with discipline we can discipline ourselves sure we can but I've got a different idea this year and this is what this whole year is about this idea of something better my suggestion is what if we fought against drift with a renewed excitement in what we believe 
that the world doesn't have? What if all of a sudden we started really getting excited about the truth that is right in front of our faces that we're so mundane about and there's nothing mundane about this message, nothing at all? That's my advice and it's where we're going to go in the weeks to come and it all starts, flip real quick, just a few pages over, this is how we close. Hebrews chapter 12, the same author that said pay attention, look at what he says in verse 2 of chapter 12, let us fix our eyes on Jesus the author and the perfecter of our faith. How do you avoid drifting? I think the first step is to look into the magnificent face of your risen Savior. When you do that, there's nothing but sheer excitement and no drifting allowed. Father God, I thank you for your truth. I thank you for your word, the warnings that are there for us. That we should not lose sight of the glorious gift and the glorious riches that we have in Christ Jesus. That nothing the world offers can compare Father, there are so many lemmings around us. We don't want to be among that number, but we also don't want to ignore that number. We want to be your disciples that are reaching out to others who are floating downstream, turning them into disciples that can turn more back towards the truth. Father, so I pray in the coming weeks as we open your word and we study it that we would gain that renewed excitement, excitement in the truth, the truth that the only truth that we have that makes us into the people that you desire us to be. This is our prayer. We ask it in the name above every other name, the name of Jesus Christ, your son, our savior, and everyone said, amen. You have a decision to make, whether you want to come to Christ and be baptized, or if you want to transfer your membership to our, our local body here, this is the time. Would you come as we stand and as we sing?